I'm Brianna Dolman, if you don't know me, and I have the privilege of sharing today. I'm on staff here at the Rock Church, and I oversee our outreach ministries. So we've been talking about the book of Joshua these last few weeks and making room for things. And so today is making room for your discipleship journey. So my in-laws used to live in Prince Rupert, BC, which is a good 20-hour drive straight without any stops. And it wasn't with, it would probably be half an hour out of Saskatoon and I'd hear the words, are we there yet? Half an hour later, how about now? Are we almost there? And when you have 20 hours ahead of you, that can be pretty um, annoying and painful. And so I'm so grateful that we learned really quick that we needed to make that entire journey enjoyable. It wasn't when we got to the destination. It was let's stop along the way. Let's see the sights. Let's hike a mountain. Let's stop at fun places to make it more enjoyable. Have you ever said any of these words? I just want to be done with school already and have a job. I just want to be married and have a family. I just want to be making more money. I just want to feel better. I just want my life to slow down. I just want my kids to grow up and get out of the house. I just want to be retired. It doesn't matter what season we are in. It's always a temptation to not enjoy where we are currently at. We think our problems will go away somehow if we can just get where we really want to go. I'm sure Israel felt the exact same thing. We just want to be settled in our promised land, our land, the place where we're going to be at peace and rest, and we're going to be done with all these problems, and we're going to end our wandering. And after all, they had been waiting 400 years, right, from when the original promise to Abraham had come that they would have a land as their own. And this current generation, it's weird to think it, but they were born in the, in, the, in the desert. That's all they had known was the desert. They had been living there their entire time. And so they were ready to take the land. And they, today was the day. We are starting in chapter three, and today is the day where they are going to move into their long-awaited promise. Their dream was going to come true. But as I looked at these passages of scripture in Joshua, I was really struck by how God slowed down the whole process because it wasn't just about getting to their destination, but God was actually after their hearts and after their discipleship. That is what he was interested in. My pastor used to tell me, I went to Harvest City Church in Regina growing up, so Pastor Dave Wells was my pastor for many years, and he often would say, Brianna, you have a serious case of destination sickness. Because my mind was always in the future. I was always like, well, I just want this to happen, and I just want that to happen. And he would say to me, you need to slow down and enjoy the journey. Enjoy the season you're in. It was great advice, but it was a lot harder to do, as you can imagine. So today we're going to look at Joshua chapters 3 to 5. And there are three things I see in here that we can make room for in our discipleship journey as the Lord moves us forward into what he has for us next, both, both personally and corporately. So let's just stop and pray for a minute. Jesus, we thank you, God, that you have a plan for us, God, that you have a purpose for us, that you are taking each one of us somewhere, Lord, that you ordained the beginning of our days, you know the end of our days, and Lord, you're moving us forward. And Jesus, you are so interested in our hearts and so interested in our discipleship, much more than ever arriving um, where we think we need to be. And so, Lord, I pray that today we would be able to just take time to slow down 
and to reflect on what you spoke to these Israelites in Joshua and that we would glean the lessons from them, what you did in their lives, God, and be able to apply it to our own lives today. So, Father, I pray that each of us would hear what your spirit wants to say today. God, I ask that you'd speak through me. I want to be your vessel. In Jesus' name, amen. So, chapter 3 opens with them camped at the Jordan River for three days. So, the Jordan River was in flood stage. It was the spring. And the Bible doesn't say what the dimensions of the river were, but scholars would suggest that it was possibly 10 feet deep and 100 feet wide. So their long-awaited dream was before them, but immediately there's an obstacle right in front of them. As they were camped there for three days, I, have, I, I wonder, were they thinking, oh, no problem, God's going to get us through this. Our, our, our ancestors, the God parted the Red Sea for them, so of course he's going to do that for us. I'd like to believe that's what they thought, but I'm not too sure because I know how much I doubt that God's going to show up for me, even though I know he's shown up for me in the past. More than likely, they might have been like, what, are you kidding me? We have an obstacle immediately in front of us. Um, Is Joshua nuts? Like, how are we ever going to get this promised land? So my first point is to make room to rest in his presence and to step out in faith. That's the first step in making room for our journey of discipleship. So let's read Joshua 3, 1 to 4 together. In the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Then bump down to verse 11. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Wow, can you imagine, can you imagine this? The priest stepping into a raging, rushing river and believing that God was going to stop the flow and dry the ground. There would have been a few moments, um, as we read ahead, we're going to realize that the flow was actually stopped 30 time, 32 kilometers upstream. So there would have been a few moments where that water was still rushing around the river, it would have, around their feet. It would have taken some time for them to actually... Um, experience the dry ground, right, for the flow to stop. So there would have been these moments of fear and unknown and uncertainty, and is God going to show up for us in this time? If you remember the parting of the Red Sea, Moses held out his hand, and God sent a wind that blew the water back, and it stood up in big walls, right, and they walked through this path with big walls. That would have been scary enough. But here, God's changing it up. He didn't repeat what he did at the Red Sea. He, he changed it up. And I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, but God likes to change it up. You think you know how to trust him in one area, and then something happens, and you're like, oh, I need to learn it a different way. So this time, the priests had to step in the water first before anything happened. So let's go on to verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, 
the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the sea of the flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry, dry ground. Amazing. So there are a few things that jump out to me here. If we jump back to verse 3, it says, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. What did the Ark of the Covenant represent? His presence. The people were to follow the Ark. They were to follow the presence when it moved, and the Ark stayed present while they crossed. The Ark stayed in the middle of the Jordan while the whole nation crossed. His presence is what leads the way in our lives, and it stays with us as we step out in faith. It's actually very dangerous to go off on your own and not be where the presence is moving. If these Israelites would have been like, Joshua's nuts. This is way too wide and way too rushing. We're going to go down and try to cross somewhere else. They wouldn't have been where the presence was. And they probably would have drowned, right? The safest place to be is where his presence is. You can, pre you can rest that his presence is with you. This reminds me of one of my favorite verses in Isaiah. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And the flames will not set you ablaze. The passage also says in verse 4, Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Following his presence, being in close relationship with him, is the secret for knowing which way to walk in our lives. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in the New Living Translation says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which which path to take. In the, in the NIV, it says, acknowledge him in all your ways. That word acknowledge is to know him intimately. It's the same Greek word that would be used for, or Hebrew word, when Adam knew Eve and gave birth to a son. It's an intimate knowing. When you're intimately familiar with his presence, that is the secret to know how to move forward in your life. He will show you which path to take. You don't have to depend on your own understanding. So last week, Pastor Brandon challenged us about putting our action into faith. And we see it again here in this chapter. The priest, as I already said, had to step out in faith into the Jordan. If God didn't show up for them, they would drown. If they would have kept taking steps, 10 feet would soon be over their head and they would be done. But they were obedient to the Lord's instructions. They took the risk and he met them in that place. Sometimes God shows you where to walk because he parts the way before you, but other times he actually asks you to step out and then he parts the way. When Pastor Dallas asked me if I would do this message, my fears and insecurities all come to the surface and I had read through chapter 3, 4, and 5 and I was like, ah, there's nothing really in there that I have anything to say. It's just going to be easier to say no. So he was flying out on the Tuesday and on the Monday. He's like, so what did you decide? 
And I knew in my heart that I was supposed to say yes, right? But I, the easy thing would have been to say no. But I knew the Lord was inviting me to take the risk of even though nothing had jumped out to me in these passages, that God would show up and actually show me something to be able to share with you. So I said yes, trusting I wasn't just going to drown in the river, um, but that he would meet me as I stepped into the water. I don't know about you, but I prefer to know what's going to happen in my life. I want to know how it's going to turn out. I want to know how it's going to look. I want to know it's going to be easy. And I want to know where I'm going. But God rarely shows us the whole picture. He gives us the next step, and that step often requires faith. We don't grow in our walks with the Lord unless we take steps of faith. If these Israelites would have stood on the side of the Jordan and just stared at the obstacle, they would have never moved forward into what God had for them. They had to take steps of faith. Even when Abraham was first called to be the father of many nations, God didn't show him the whole picture. He simply said, leave your country, your people, go to the land, I will show you. Abraham had no idea what he was getting into, where he was going, what, how it was going to work out, how long it was going to take. He just obeyed. I think of in my life, I grew up in Regina, So I lived there for 30 years, and I told my husband, Adam, that I was never leaving Regina. Um, Unless there was writing on the wall, I loved it there. I loved my church. I loved the people I had in my life. I loved my job. I loved everything about it. And so there was a day that he phoned me. I was actually on a mission trip in Pelican Narrows with my students. And he phoned me and said, I've been offered a job transfer to Saskatoon. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm on a mission trip, my brain is not in in making a decision kind of mode, Um, but I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was inviting us to accept that job offer. And so we took that step of faith, only knowing that he was getting a job. I knew nobody here, I have some family here, but I had no community, no church, I didn't know about the rock, didn't know how that was all going to look, what we were going to do, but it was a step of faith that blew my mind because now looking back, my husband doesn't even work at that job, but there was such a bigger picture of what God had for us by bringing us to Saskatoon, and now I know that Saskatoon is the true promised land. Um, When you grow up in Regina, you have no idea what you're missing out on, no idea. Anyways, another example in my life is I taught high school for a number of years in Regina, but before that season, I was involved with ministry at Harvest City Church in Regina. And so I, I had been in ministry for a number of years, but that season of ministry had ended in a burnout for me. And so I was not eager to get back into any kind of church ministry. So when we moved to Saskatoon, I started subbing, um, and I was kind of driving all over creation all the time. And... So Pastor Dallas invited me to come on staff part-time and to do some administration for our C23 program. And then our youth pastor ended up moving away, and so Dallas asked if I would take on that role. So this was about eight years ago. And I was terrified because I did not want to ever go into church ministry again. And I, but I knew that the presence of God was leading me in that direction. And I knew I needed to say yes. It's like that ark was moving and I had a choice. Was I going to follow it or not? Um, And I didn't know if the waters were going to part or if I would drown all over again like I did way back in my 20s. But I had to take the step of faith. And I look back over those last years since I took that step of faith, and I've grown tremendously from that beginning time when I I was so terrified um, because I was willing to take a step of faith. So what step of faith is he asking you to take? 
to move you forward into all he has for you. You don't need to know the whole picture. You don't know, need to know what it's going to look like. But are you willing to get your feet wet? Are you willing to step into the water, to trust him in the risk and the unknown, and just rest that his presence is going to stay with you in that place? Somehow we as believers think that God's will will lead us into something easy. Um, uh, it's not what I've experienced. It usually requires a lot of faith. It requires a lot of trust, a lot of courage, a lot of perseverance. And there are obstacles to overcome, just like the Israelites had to face that obstacle of the Jordan River to walk through it and to move into all God had for them. And I believe that's true for us personally in our lives, but also corporately as a church. As we move forward into what he has for us, is not just going to be a cakewalk, right? There's going to be steps of faith that we have to take. So we need to make room to step out in faith and to rest in his presence. Number two, we need to make room to remember and share the story of God's faithfulness. So they cross the Jordan. They're on the other side. They're three kilometers from Jericho. Surely this is the time to take the land. What does God do? Nope. I want you to stop, and I want you to make a memorial to remember what he had just done. So let's read in Joshua chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. So Moses called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites. To serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Why was it so important for the people to stop and remember right then? Wouldn't it be etched in their mind together? etched in their mind forever, I mean? Like, wouldn't they always remember God stopping a river and being able to walk through it? Couldn't they just remember once they conquered Jericho and settled into the land? Uh, why now? And if they were anything like me, um, I forget things really easily. As time passes, I can't seem to remember the details. And when I went through my cancer journey two and a half years ago, I thought I would remember every detail of that forever. Because when you're in the thick of it, it is so real and so there, right? Every feeling, every emotion, all the things. Um, but as the time started to pass, I started to realize I'm forgetting how it actually felt to be in all the moments of that. And so I wasn't working at the time. And so I, I remember I, I felt the Lord challenge me to write down, to go back through my journals, go back through all the things that I, all my appointments, all, all the things that I had done, and to, to chronicle the journey that I had walked through, to write down what the Lord showed me, to write down what I had experienced, to write down the scriptures that God had shared with me. And I, by the end of it, I had 15 pages typed of every part of that cancer journey and every emotion and everything I walked through. And now it's a gift. Like, I have it. So it's real. Like, I, I, I can refer back to that and remember God's faithfulness to me and remember how he showed up for me in that time. 
And I believe God wanted the Israelites to have something tangible at that place to remind them that he is good, that he keeps his promises, that he can be trusted, and something that future generations could ask about. They needed to stop and make room to remember in that moment. So let's continue in verse 21 of chapter 4. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. Verse 24 is really important. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Why does God do amazing things in our lives, in his church, in his people? So the world will know who he is. Your testimony is a powerful way to show who God is to the world. No one can argue with your story, big or small. Even something as little as this. I'm standing before you right now, and you might think, oh yeah, whatever, that's easy for her. When I was a teenager, I was terrified of public speaking. I was the most shy, insecure teenage girl you can imagine. I said nothing. For those of you who know that I talk way too much now, I never talked back then. I didn't ask questions. I didn't, I was just quiet all the time. And so when I went into my 20s and God started to heal me and bring freedom to me and started to show me who I was in him and started to show me my gifts and, and as he transformed my life, I can now do what he's called me to do because of that change. That's a testimony of how he works in us. That's a testimony. That's, that's something little I could take for granted and think, oh, whatever, that's no big deal. I just grew up. Well, no, I didn't just grow up. God actually brought transformation. And I can share that with others that, that are they're struggling with those same things, right? As I share my story, um, God can show himself to other people. Are our lives a memorial for this generation for future generations? Do I tell people, do I tell my own children the stories of God, of who he is to me and what he's done in my life? As my children are adults now or moving towards adulthood, it's, it's like all of a sudden it dawned on me like, yeah, we might talk about things along the way, but have I actually told them all the stories of how God's shown up for me over the years or do I just kind of take it for granted and just think it's not a big deal? Do I remember the times God showed up for me? The more I talk about how God's shown up for me, as I share publicly how God's shown up for me, or in relationships, those things get etched in my mind and I remember them better. Another way that I remember how God has shown up for me is <clears throat> my sister designed this gratitude journal uh, before COVID and she sells it on Amazon, but I have been doing this for four years. And it has been a game changer for me because it has 365 dates um, so I do it for the whole year, and I, every night I, it forces me to reflect on my day and to think, how did God show up today? What did I learn today? How did God bless me in some way today? How did I learn more about him? What were the gifts of the day? And so then I have, right now I have four of these that I can look back on anytime I'm discouraged or anytime I'm questioning, you know, where is God and what's he doing? I can read back and be like, oh yeah, he did that. Oh yeah, he did that. And it's all in one place, so I love it. So yes, this is a promo Support my sister. Buy one of these on Amazon. Um, I have a friend in Regina who actually has a memorial box. Um, so they have, it's like a shadow box on the wall in their house. And they have different objects in that memorial box that 
reflect their story and how God's shown up for them. And so it might be a receipt. It might be a pay stub. It might be a hospital bracelet. It might be a picture of something. It might be an empty pill bottle. Whatever would reflect how God has moved and intervened in your life. Those are ways, things we can do to remember. And the reality is, is as I take time to remember, it actually fills my heart with hope and courage to follow him into what's next. But he doesn't just want to encourage me. He wants to encourage the people around me as well. And I am absolutely convinced that God allows, God wants to use all the things that happen in our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, for our own encouragement after he shows up for us in those places, but also so that he can help others. Um, 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, He comforts us in our struggles so we can comfort others. If you are in the thick of it right now, and you found it even difficult to sing the songs that, you know, he's not going to disappoint me, he's not going to let me down, because it just feels like, where is God and what is he doing? If, if you're in the thick of it right now, right now, let someone who God has taken them through the thick of it to come alongside you and to encourage you. And if you've, you're on the other side, take time to share your story with someone else and encourage them. We need to make room to remember and share the story of God's faithfulness in our lives. My last point, number three, is to make room to consecrate yourself and acknowledge your dependence on him. So they had crossed the Jordan. They had taken time to remember. Now surely it must be the time to cross, the, cross into the land and take Jericho. After all, all, the people in the area were terrified of them at this point. They would have saw them crossing Jordan. So it was certainly time. And it baffles me what God did next. Joshua chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 1 and 2. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the ho- coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Sounds like the perfect time to take the land right there. That's what I would have done if I was God. That's what I would have done. But instead, God says, at the time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So this circumcision would have included the 40,000 men who were armed and ready for battle that Joshua 4.13 talks about. And I don't know about you, I can't imagine 40,000 men with man colds, let alone freshly circumcised. So this would have not been a pretty sight. What was God thinking? This was craziness. This made no sense. This was military suicide. Why in the world would God do this now? Why wouldn't he wait and have them get circumcised after they conquered the land and they were at peace? Then they could recover when there was no threat of war. Um, Or why didn't he do it when they were in the desert? They had lots of time there. Why didn't he do it then? Why now when they were within the view of Jericho? the strongest military outpost of the Canaanites. Well, God's ways are not our ways. So why now? Verse 9 sheds some light on that. It says, After the whole nation had been circumcised, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. 
Their circumcision at that point symbolized leaving behind the shame of their past, the shame of the death, of the slavery, of the failure to trust God. And it was a sign of them moving into the new things God had for them that was full of freedom and life for them. The Enduring Word commentary says this, Circumcision was a powerful act of consecration to God. In it, an Israelite said, I'm not like the other nations. I listen to God and I do what he says I should do. It was stepping out in faithful obedience and and identifying yourself as one of the Lord's people. It was renouncing the flesh and the world. It was dying to self and living to God. Most importantly, the Israelites were God's people first. And this was a renewal of that covenant. And a testimony to everyone around them that we were God's. We were not our own. They were physically put in a place where they, all they could do was depend on God. As they were reminded about who they were and who they belonged to. So how does this relate to us? No circumcision for Christians. So Deuteronomy 36 says this. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. One um, Bible scholar explains it this way, way. Circumcision of the heart is a cutting away of anything and everything that prevents us from fearing the Lord and loving him with all of our heart and serving him with wholeheartedness and obeying his principles and precepts. It includes removing anything we love more than him through repentance and faith. Have you found yourself there where God presses pause on your journey forward, on your movement forward to do an inner working in your heart? This might come through a crisis, a disappointment, an illness, a shattered dream, a desert-like spiritual experience, an unexpected loss. For those of you who have taken emotionally healthy spirituality, we call this, or Pete Scazzaro calls this, the wall or the dark night of the soul. And in this place, we learn some things that we wouldn't learn otherwise if we allow God to bring us through that dark and challenging time. God doesn't cause these things, but he uses them for our discipleship. And when I look back on my life, I see multiple times where the Lord pressed pause. Things were moving forward and I was ready to go, but he pressed pause in my journey to go after my heart. One of the huge times was when I burnt out in my, in my 20s. And like I said before, I was on staff at Harvest City Church in Regina. I was doing my dream job. I was... Um, Getting, I was involved with teaching in a Bible school. I was involved with traveling, taking mission, taking mission teams places, reaching into the community. I was full of vision. I was very passionate. I was ready to change the world. Um, and so it was a major interruption when I burnt out. Um, I had just started dating my husband, well, my boyfriend at the time, um, and I started to get sick. I started to go downhill. I crashed and I burnt pretty hard in all the ways, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically. And God used that season to circumcise my heart. But it wouldn't have used the words back then, but when I read this passage, that's what it was. 
to cut away my flesh and to go after some of the ugliness in my heart that I didn't even know was there. The pride, the judgment, the self-reliance, the self-sufficiency, the independence, the stuff that could have wrecked me had God not pressed pause to deal with some of those deeper issues. But it was an interruption. It wasn't convenient. The other, there's, there was other times, but the other one that stands out to me, obviously, would have been my cancer journey um, three years ago. So I would have been diagnosed three years ago this December. And it was also terrible timing. We had just come out of COVID. We were finally, I was on staff at the time, we were finally... Um, moving forward with getting back to do our outreach programs. We had a rock star staff team. Um, getting to reach into the families was a possibility. <clears throat> my heart was full of dreaming for the future again. And so when I got diagnosed, in my head I was like, okay, fine. I'll just take a month off, have radical surgery, so I don't need any chemo and radiation, and I'll just get on with things. That was my plan. It's just going to be a little blip in my journey. And... Uh, I'll get back down to business. Um, and I, right before my surgery, I felt the Lord challenge me that I needed to actually settle into the process and the journey, that it was not going to be as quick and easy as I thought, and that there were things he wanted to do in my heart and in my life. And so sure enough, I ended up being off work for 18 months, and I realized God was not in a rush some of the things that I thought I was ready to do right then were not his timing. And there were gifts in that cancer journey um, that God did in my heart in terms of depositing some things in my heart that needed to be there, but also cutting away some more things that needed to be cut away. Obviously, when you have a crisis of any kind, but a health crisis, you have to, life becomes very simplified to what, what really matters. Um, and even though it was challenging and it was hard and it was dark um, and it was a definite interruption to my plans, my father was with me every step of the way and I grew so much in that time. And I've said, I said this to the staff the other day, I would, have, I would go through that season again to learn what I learned. I, I learned things I could never learn anyway in that time. It was one of the richest times in my walk with Jesus and he went, he went after deeper intimacy with, with my heart, deeper dependence on him, deeper surrender, letting go of control, all kinds of things that are gifts that in his economy, in his kingdom, that's what he's after. He's after our hearts and he's after our discipleship. And so that, that is what he wants more than anything. And it was a rich season for that. But I'll tell you this, that when I first went through my burnout, that was probably one of the Biggest interruptions where God pressed pause in my life. And I was angry at God. I was not happy. I was like, how dare you let this happen to me? And because of that burnout and because of walking through their, those dark times and wondering where God was and questioning what in the world he was doing, after I came out of it, I looked back and went, oh, God totally used that in my life. I didn't see it at the moment, but I realized he used it. So then when I was faced with this other crisis and this other dark time, I was able to say, the Lord did something deep in me in that burnout stage. I'm going to trust that he's going to do something deep in me in this cancer stage. Even though I don't know what it's going to look like, and even though it's scary, and even though I do have to step out in faith and trust that he's with me, and I need to remember what he's done for me, and I need to 
surrender again. I had to consecrate myself and say, Lord, my life is in, my, in your hands. Whether this ends in death or whether this ends in life, I'm yours. And it was a greater level of surrender. So when the Lord presses pause on your life, take the time to consecrate yourself in that spot and to acknowledge your need of him. I'm going to call up the worship team now. And I'm just going to wrap this up. And then we will pray. My encouragement for you is to slow down for the journey of discipleship. The Christian life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It is a long race. And we need to slow down to allow God to speak to us and to tell us what are those steps of faith that he wants you to take. And to be reminded, slow down to be reminded that he is with you no matter what your journey looks like. We need to slow down to remember and to share what the Lord has done for us. We need to slow down to allow him to do that deep inner work in us through consecration. To prepare you for what's next. And like I said, to deposit into your life what needs to be there. And to cut away, to strip away that which is going to hinder you. We need to slow down to enjoy the season we're in. Even if we don't like it. Enjoy the season you're in, the place you find yourself. Surrender to Jesus in that place. Give yourself fully to him. Acknowledge you need him and that you're nothing without him. God sees the end from the beginning and he will get you where he wants you to be in his time and in his way. So personally and as a church, let's make room for this discipleship process. So let's pray. Jesus, you are a good father, and you love us. And Lord, even though we find ourselves at times in difficult, challenging places, you use it all. You use it all to go after our hearts. You use it all to bring the stuff to the surface that needs to be scooped away. You use it all to deposit more of who you are into us. God, you know what you've created each of us for. You know what you've called us to. And God, you each of us have different journeys. We're all running a different race. But Father, I just pray for just a fresh surrender. A fresh surrender to what you want to do in whatever season we're in. God, help us to remember your faithfulness. Help us to remember your goodness to us. Help us to share that with others that are in a tough place in their journey. God, help us to take steps of faith, to be obedient to you, God, even when it's scary. God, our lives are yours, and we want you to do with us what you desire for your glory, that your name would be high and lifted up, God, in this place, in this community, in our families, in this city, God. It's not about us. It's about you, Lord. So we just surrender to that process. Help us to enjoy our journey, God. Thank you that you're with us every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen.